Hello, this is Sarah. Welcome you to the 2376th edition of Enfield Talking Newspaper, dateline the 15th of February. The readers this week are Mary, Joel and me, Sarah, with Hass on the controls. Editing, production and distribution is by the team. Our title music is Country Rock Polka, composed by Pat Prilly, Ferdinand Bouillon and Harry Breuer. It is performed by Jean-Jacques Perret and is used with his kind permission. The local news stories that we will be reading come from the Enfield Independent and the Enfield Dispatch and are their copyright. For the week beginning the 19th of February, the sunrise time is 7.05 in the morning and sunset time is 17.23. We also have some special notices from Enfield Vision and research from Anglia Ruskin University. Enfield Vision is a group of visually impaired people determined to improve the environment and to reduce the everyday problems of blind and partially sighted people. We are registered with the Charity Commission as an organisation with the specific aim of promoting the well-being of visually impaired people living in Enfield. We hold a drop-in morning on the third Thursday in each month from 10am to 1pm at Park Avenue Resource Centre, Bush Hill Park, Enfield. And our exercise classes are now running again. Here are the dates for the next few months. Thursday the 21st of March... Thursday the 18th of April and Thursday the 16th of May. For further information, please contact us on 020-8373-6260 or email information at enfieldvision.org.uk. Our next notice concerns some research carried out by the Anglia Ruskin University in Cambridge. The notice comes from Warren Wilson from the RNIB and is a request for help with some current research being conducted by Cambridge University. The research is regarding barriers faced by blind and partially sighted people when looking to participate in sport and physical activity. Information shows that people with sight loss do not participate regularly in physical activity programmes, especially the case from people from ethnic minorities. The study aims to discover the reasons for this and to inform the design of physical activity programmes that will be specifically for people from different backgrounds. Participation will involve being interviewed either face-to-face or via a video call where you will be asked about your opinion on different types of physical activity provisions aimed at people with sight loss and what would make them appealing to you. You will also be asked about the barriers for you in doing different types of physical activities. The interview will last between 30 and 45 minutes and you will receive a £10 Amazon voucher as a thank you. If you or anyone you know would be interested in participating or have further questions, please contact Professor Peter Allen at PMA, that's in small letters, PMA36 at jbs.com. CAM.AC.UK. That's PMA36 at JBS.CAM.AC.UK. Our last special notice is regarding special, note, special um, events in Enfield Libraries. Tea and Chatter, it's called. Apparently, they're funded by the London Borough of Enfield to deliver the ICANN service. 
ICANN is a consortia led by Age UK Enfield with Attend, Alpha Care Specialists and Enfield Carers Centre. Tea and Chatter is a fun, informal group for all to meet up, learn new things and meet new people. Led by ICANN Navigators, they are held in the borough's libraries and are held monthly at different venues. There is something for everyone and the guest speakers' topics and themes are determined by participants. They're free to intend and you'll always have a cup of tea or coffee and refreshments at our events. We do like to get into the wider community, so throughout the year we arrange pub lunches or outings and the end of the year with a party or event. Does this sound good? We'd love to meet you. For more information, call Age UK Enfield on 0208 375 4120. That's 0208 375 4120. And just to let you know, the addresses of the three libraries concerned Enfield Town Library at 66 Church Street, Enfield, EN26AX. And they have their tea and chatter on the first Thursday of the month from 10 to 12. No need to book, but more information if you want. If you want to email Kira, that's C-I-A-R-A at alphacares, A-L-P-H-A-C-A-R-E-S dot org dot UK. That's Kiara at alphacares.org.uk. Alternatively, there's Ordnance Unity Centre Library on the first floor at 645 Hartford Road, EN36ND. And they are open on every second Tuesday of every month from 10am to 12pm. Again, no need to book, but for more information, please email christine.shaw at ageukenfield.org.uk. That's christine.shaw at ageukenfield.org.uk. And lastly, Edmonton Green Library on the first floor community room, 34 to 36 Street, The Mall, Edmonton, N90TN. And their tea and chatter is on the first Monday of every month from 10am to 12pm. And again, no need to book, but for more information, email Becky at ICANN at EnfieldCarers.org. Sorry, that's ICANN at EnfieldCarers.org. Do get in touch with us to share your own news and special announcements. We would love to hear from you. If you have any comments about the Enfield Talking newspaper, please phone Diane de Jersey on 07899 That's 07899 She is your listener's representative and we'll be pleased to help you. Now Mary will read the lead story. And from the Enfield Dispatch Online, motion of no confidence in Kate Ossimer MP passed by Labour members. The move by Edmonton Party members comes after Ossimer was suspended by Labour last month. Members of the Labour Party in Edmonton have passed a motion of no confidence in Kate Ossimer MP following her suspension last month. Osama was suspended by Labour on the 28th of January, two days after she sent a newsletter including Gaza on a list of genocides to be remembered on Holocaust Memorial Day. 
Although Osama quickly apologised for the remarks following the criticism by Jewish groups and others, she lost the Labour whip in Parliament and is now an independent MP until such time as she is readmitted. Last Thursday, the 8th of February, the constituency Labour Party members in Enfield, sorry, I beg your pardon, in Edmonton, passed a motion which expressed they no longer had confidence in their local MP. The vote is largely symbolic and doesn't mean that Osima has been deselected from standing as a Labour candidate at the next election, although to do so she will need to be readmitted. The motion said that members strongly condemn the newsletter sent by Osima and said it was deliberately hurtful towards our Jewish community to use a day commemorating the Holocaust to accuse the world's only Jewish state of perpetuating genocide. There has also been support shown for Osama since her suspension. However, with a pro-Palestine group staging a rally outside Edmonton Green Station last week. The dispatch understands that the vote on the no-confidence motion by Edmonton constituency Labour Party saw 25 voting for and 10 against, with six abstentions. There are more than 700 Labour members in the constituency. One person who attended the constituency Labour Party meeting told the dispatch the motion wasn't advertised in advance, meaning members would not have been given advance notice of the vote. The Labour member who did not wish to be named said, The fact it was an emergency motion meant it wasn't on the agenda. Nobody was able to defend her properly. I think it's a set-up. Kate has been a good MP and has been very visible in the community. She has apologised for her mistake. The party activist also mentioned that their credentials as a Labour member weren't checked when they arrived at the meeting. From what I gather, there were no ways of checking who were members and who were not members, they said. Kate Osimer declined to comment... Edmonton Community Labour Party could not be reached for comment. Is this Enfield's best Indian restaurant? Neil Littman on why Anoki in Winchmore Hill is his favourite local curry house. On a cold, damp Monday evening in November, after deciding to give the MasterChef, MasterChef finals a miss, I visited Anoki in Winchmore Hill Broadway, which has been open since 2019. This was the first time I've eaten there, having ordered takeaways from them during the pandemic lockdown. My invited guest had a cold, so I went on my own. Undaunted and hungry, I made the effort and was surprised by how busy they were for the beginning of the week. At one table alone, a party of 14 were already settled in, for a work-leaving due apparently, and other tables were occupied in addition to a steady stream of home deliveries. Anoki means unique in Punjabi, an appropriate description as it turned out, and the restaurant is a bright star in the area, with award-winning chef Ray at the helm, evidenced by a large gold cup on top of their counter, which I initially mistook for a football trophy. Ray's experience includes working at Michelin-starred establishments such as Le Porte des Indies in Marble Arch, which features palm trees and a waterfall. Anoki's interior, by contrast, is less gimmicky, with clean lines and a mural on one wall. Anoki offers dishes from several regions in India and a changing menu throughout the year, 
though this meant my favourite duck curry was not available. I was also impressed to see a menu offering dishes that I had not heard of before, demonstrating they are prepared to take risks with a non-formulaic approach. There is a decent wine list, but I stuck to a small cobra beer and a poppadom and ordered a starter of paneer potli. On the plate were four wraps of phyllo pastry, and inside each was spiced paneer cheese with a marinade on the side. They looked like those nibbles you only buy at Christmas from M&S, but the taste of the paneer mix was not something you would get ready prepared. From the main courses, I ordered chicken rosala, their version of a popular Bengali dish. The original recipe includes cream and nuts, but as a nod to those with allergies, Anoki avoids serving dishes with nuts. I also ordered a chana masala, spiced chickpeas, pilau rice and a chapati, which looked like two servings but was very simple, but was simply very large and homemade. Newer items on the menu include hara gujarat, vegetable cutlets, alu mata tiki, paneer fried savoury potato patties and golden crab cakes, which they have adapted as a house special. They also have an extensive vegetarian menu. Overall, I think Anoki are offering the best Indian food in Enfield and the service is good considering how busy they were on the evening I dined there. My bill came to £35, including drinks and service. Anoki Indian Restaurant can be found at 757 Green Lanes, Winchmore Hill, N21 3SA and is open Monday to Thursday, 5.30pm to 10.30pm Fridays and Saturdays, 5.30pm to 11pm, and Sundays, 5.30pm to 10pm. To book, call 0208-360-4144 or visit anoki-restaurant.co.uk. Enfield Council has been ordered to apologise and pay a resident thousands of pounds in compensation after it failed to move her despite the significant risk of violence she faced. A report from the Local Government and Social Care Ombudsman states the Council's shortcomings in managing the resident's homelessness application, which left the resident, referred to anonymously as Mrs B, at risk of violence for longer than necessary. The Council was ordered to pay Mrs B more than £5,000 as a result to compensate for her and her family living in unsuitable accommodation and the delay in accepting the main housing duty. The report stated the council took too long to access, assess Mrs B's housing situation when she first asked for help in February 2020. The council offered Mrs B interim accommodation but took a year to do so. Mrs B moved to a private rented property in April 2021 but this was considered not big enough though Mrs B said it was the only realistic option. The report stated Mrs B asked the council to continue to look for three-bedroom properties. The report said no significant action was made on the case until October 2022. The report stated the council should have intervened and changed her housing situation sooner. The report stated the council had apologised for the delays in the processing of both her homelessness applications and has taken steps to improve service. The spokesman said the council took complaints very seriously and had improved its process to avoid delays when it came to homelessness application assessments. They said, we have recently reviewed our approach and publicly shared our new way of working on homelessness casework. 
The spokesperson added that the Council Housing Service had recently agreed a new domestic abuse policy to protect the rights of residents to live in a safe home. They said this commitment will provide early, tailored and coordinated support to domestic abuse survivors and their children within the housing service. Cromwell, the Civil War and White Webb's Park. Joe Studman offers a unique take on the plans by Tottenham Hotspur to build a women's football academy on part of Whitewebs Park. I was recently rereading David Pam's excellent paper, The Rude Multitude, and was wondering what the people of Enfield might do if a similar situation arose today. David's paper refers to the troubled times after the Civil War when Cromwell's Parliament sold off a large portion of Enfield Chase. The chase had, until the execution of Charles I, been in the ownership of the Duchy of Lancaster, in practice the Crown, and the new purchasers were senior commanders from the New Model Army, who made payment for these estates through back pay owed and regular soldiers' bonds bought at a discount. The main losers in this deal were the good folk of Enfield, who saw the removal of their common rights that they had enjoyed since time immemorial of pasturing their cattle and collecting loose timber for fuel. After their appeals were rejected by state commissioners, the commoners took matters into their own hands, and in May 1659, a party moved on to Enfield Chase, pulling down hedges and fences around the new enclosures, and drove their cattle onto the growing corn. The government response was to demand local magistrates take legal action against this rude multitude, but the instruction was ignored. The new tenants then hired mercenaries to terrorise the locals, resulting in a pitch battle on the 10th of July between a small armed infantry and local commoners armed with pitchforks. The villagers won when they overpowered the soldiers while reloading their muskets, although there was a loss of two villagers' lives in the process. Can you imagine what might be the response today if, just for instance, a certain party erected a fence around, say, 18% of White Webb's Park, perhaps where the old golf course is? Today, there is a marvellous savannah reminiscent of how the chase would have looked 300 years ago. Would the good folk of Enfield, knowing that this estate had been purchased by Middlesex County Council for the benefit of local people, feel that their common rights had been abused? I can't imagine for one minute they would feel justified in tearing down those fences and herding those wonderful red pole cattle and sheep from Forty Hall Farm onto the enclosed land. But the cows in particular do seem to have roaming rights. Indeed, such actions would be unlawful and wrong. Deary me, no, we shouldn't even think of such a thing. Fortunately, we live in enlightened times and have a council that has our best interests at heart and wouldn't allow such an enclosure in the first place. They wouldn't, would they? They couldn't, could they? New artisan craft fair coming to Palmer's Green this spring. Attendees can expect to find unique and one-of-a-kind pieces ranging from handcrafted glass ornaments and textiles to pottery, paintings and more. 
local artisans and craft enthusiasts are gearing up for the launch of Fair Makers, a new bi-monthly artisan craft fair set to launch in Palmer's Green next month. The inaugural fair is scheduled to launch in the run-up to Easter on Saturday the 16th of March from 1pm to 4pm at St John the Evangelist Church Hall, Bourne Hill. It will then continue on the third Saturday every other month. The Fairmakers event promises to be a celebration of creativity and craftsmanship, showcasing a diverse array of handmade products from talented local artisans. Watercolour artist Terry Powell, another driving force behind Fairmakers, shared his enthusiasm and added, As an artist, I know the value of creating a space for makers to showcase their work. Fairmakers will be an excellent opportunity for artists and the community to connect and appreciate the beauty of handmade and artisan crafts at affordable prices. Fairmakers is actively seeking passionate and skilled artisans to participate in its inaugural event in Palmer's Green. To find out more information about the fair or apply for a stall, contact Terry Powell at terrypowell at sky.com. Fairmakers can also be found on Instagram and Facebook at fairmakersn13. Cancer patients in North London are to be the first in the UK to benefit from a revolutionary £8 million scanner, which is faster, more accurate and safer than those currently in use. The Royal Free Hospital's new positron emission tomography scanner is 30 times more powerful than standard machines and makes more sensitive examinations in just five minutes instead of half an hour. Patients are exposed to far less radiation, which also means treatment starts sooner. They get diagnoses much quicker, the Royal Free Specialist Director Rupinda Gilmore explained. Oncologists also get much more detailed information about tumours, which allows more effective treatment. Three-dimensional pictures are created when patients are given a mildly radioactive glucose solution, which lights up in the scan so that doctors can see how a tumour is functioning to work out the best treatment. The scanner being installed by the Royal Free London NHS Trust serves Hampstead, Barnet and Enfield and will be operational in early spring. It will help deal with one of the highest rates of late cancer diagnosis among developed nations, with the demand for cancer care in North London predicted to surge in coming years. New trains for the Piccadilly line, and the best news of all, the walk-through trains will be air-conditioned. A whole new fleet of air-conditioned trains where you can walk through from carriage to carriage is planned for the Piccadilly line next year. 80% of the trains on the service are being replaced, with a new assembly plant being built in Yorkshire and due to open in the spring. The company making the trains, Siemens Mobility, is in the final stages of constructing the new factory where most of the new trains are to be put together as part of a £200 million Transport for London investment. We are assembling trains here in Britain for the first time, Siemens Mobility Joint Chief Executive Sambit Banerjee said. This is a milestone for the industry to build 80% of Piccadilly Line trains in Yorkshire, which will transform travel for commuters in London. The next generation of walk-through trains are being assembled by the next generation of engineers. 
The new factory is also expected to replace the fleet of Bakerloo line trains, which is more than 50 years old and the oldest in passenger service in the UK. The first new train for the Piccadilly line, however, has already been made at the company's factory in Vienna and has been undergoing testing by engineers in Germany and is due to arrive in London this summer. But all future orders by TfL including the new trains for the Bakerloo, are being assembled in Yorkshire once further funding is secured from the government to renew London Underground's ageing rolling stock. TfL is to carry out further testing and integrating the new Piccadilly line trains before they go into public service in 2025, running straight through from Cockfosters to Heathrow Airport and Uxbridge. The longer trains with end-to-end walk-through carriages, similar to those introduced on the Metropolitan, District, Circle and Hammersmith lines from 2014, have around 10% more passenger capacity than the older ones they're replacing. They are also fitted with digital screens with real-time passenger information and have CCTV in the carriages. The design is lighter than existing trains with fewer rail bogies, which make them more energy efficient as well as giving a smoother ride. Two men charged following raid on Enfield Bank. Seven, bur- seven burglaries took place over the last month at banks and building societies in Enfield, Haringey, Waltham Forest and Waltham Cross. Two men have been arrested and charged by Metropolitan Police officers investigating a series of burglaries at banks and building societies in Enfield and elsewhere. Flying Squad officers launched an investigation into seven overnight burglaries at banks and building societies between the 10th and 4th of February. The branches raided were the nationwide in Church Street, Enfield Town, plus nationwide and Barclays branches in Haringey, Waltham Forest and Waltham Cross in Hertfordshire. On six occasions, the suspects made off with a quantity of cash. An overnight burglary at a restaurant in Ho Street, Walthamstow, on Thursday the 1st of February was also linked to the series. Met detectives were able to identify a car link to the burglaries, even though different clone plates were used. Following an extensive and painstaking investigation, two men were arrested on Friday the 9th of February in South Tottenham. A sledgehammer and other tools were recovered from the car link to the two men which was parked nearby. Both men aged in their 40s were charged on Saturday the 10th with conspiracy to burgle and theft offences. They will appear in custody at Snaresbrook Crown Court on the 8th of March. Trent Park Museum Trust celebrates the launch of its new website ahead of the physical museum's completion next year. A digital museum has been launched to showcase stories of the secret listeners who were based at Trent Park during the Second World War. Trent Park Museum Trust recently held a launch event for its new website under its rebranded name Trent Park House of Secrets. The website includes images, recordings and video interviews telling the incredible stories of the secret listeners who eavesdropped on conversations among German prisoners held at Trent Park during the later stages of the war, helping to reveal crucial information in the effort to defeat the Nazis. 
The launch of the Digital, Digital Museum marks the culmination of a year-long oral history project funded with a 225,000 grant from the National Lottery Heritage Fund. The project has also included a series of educational workshops with children at schools across Enfield. Trent Park House itself is being currently re renovated with a physical museum there now due to open in 2025. The visitor attraction will also celebrate the era when the building was owned by Sir Philip Sassoon and hosted many famous celebrities of the interwar period. At the launch event for the website in January, held at Dugdale Arts Centre, actor and comedian Helen Lederer of absolutely fabulous fame and granddaughter of a secret listener, Ernst Lederer, said... My grandfather had been asked by British intelligence to travel to Cockfosters and put on headphones and listen to captured prisoners. Trent Park had to be kitted out in record time with buggy devices so it would be ready for the first prisoners. Among all the tasteful furnishings, there were microphones hidden in plants and in light fittings, and their conversations were recorded. Helen didn't even know that Ernst, who died when she was a small child, had been a secret listener until she starred in a Channel 5 documentary in 2012, which examined her family history. She added, My grandfather wasn't allowed to speak about it, even to his wife. This digital museum has put these stories together to bring them to life. Jason Charalambus, co-chair of Trent Park Museum Trust, also addressed the event at Dugdale Centre and said, This all began a decade ago in 2014 as an idea and a pipe dream. But haven't we come a long way? We are on the cusp of something incredible. We are building momentum to open the physical museum in a year's time. At first we had to battle to get the principle of the museum accepted, but despite the hurdles, it is thanks to our funders, volunteers and supporters that we have got to where we are now. We hope the Trent Park House of Secrets website will encourage people to explore and discover the fascinating stories of the secret listeners. Continued local support is absolutely critical to our success. Visit the new Trent Park House of Secrets website at trentparkhouseofsecrets.org.uk That's all one word in lowercase, trentparkhouseofsecrets.org.uk Nicola up for National Golfing Award. London golfer Nicola Bennett is a finalist for a major national award for her work in helping to give more youngsters the chance to try the sport. Bennett, who turned professional in 2014 after first hitting a ball at her local driving range in Stanmore as a 10-year-old, has been shortlisted in the Diversity and Inclusion Champion category for the England Golf Awards in February. Over the last three years, and in her role as an ambassador for the Golf Foundation, she has delivered golf sessions in primary and special education needs schools across North London and for community groups in the capital to help open up opportunities and introduce the sport to children and people from a wide variety of backgrounds. Bennett has also been at the forefront of the Golf Foundation's Unleash Your Drive campaign, aimed at introducing mental toughness tools to children through an introduction to golf in primary school. 
the 29-year-old who runs golf classes for the Muslim Women's Sports Foundation and is a qualified PGA professional coach at Bushill Park in Enfield said, I'm really thrilled to be chosen as a finalist for the awards and be amongst some amazing individuals who are doing so much to make golf a more inclusive and diverse sport. Through my work and as an ambassador for the Golf Foundation, I'm particularly proud of the opportunities we've been able to provide to schools across London and to children who perhaps wouldn't normally get the chance to give, to give golf a try. It's so important to continue to try and break down those barriers for children and young people in communities across the city. And as someone who experienced those barriers myself growing up, it's something I'm hugely passionate about. Helping Enfield become greener and safer. Flood management projects in the borough continue apace, protecting thousands of homes, com combating the imp impact of climate change and supporting our green spaces and waterways. Enfield Council is committed to enhancing biodiversity, protecting our parks, homes, open spaces, woodlands, watercourses, trees and shrubs. Our aim is to become the greenest area of London. Take a look at our most recent projects in the borough. Wilbury Way, Upper Edmonton Ward. The most recent wetland to be completed in Enfield is at Wilbury Way. The open space has been redesigned to enhance the local area, provide a safe space for well-being and relaxation, and it makes a feature of the Pims Brook. Importantly, the wetland is part of a series of similar projects across the catchment that work together to store water and slow the flow in rivers. There are around 1,000 properties at risk of flooding in the Pimsbrook catchment. Storing water in the wetland during periods of extreme rainfall reduces this risk. Trent Park, Cockfosters Ward. Works have begun to create two toad ponds in Trent Country Park as part of the wider Salmons Brook Natural Flood Management Project with support from the Environment Agency and DEFRA. The two ponds have been designed by Enfield Council in collaboration with Thames 21 and the wildlife charity Frog Life to maximise wildlife benefits whilst also ensuring they are integrated into the landscape. These ponds will provide an excellent new habitat for toads as well as multiple flood storage benefits. Green Lanes, Suds, Palmer's Green and Winchmore Hill Wards. Rain gardens catch pollutants coming off roads, preventing them from entering into nearby watercourses such as rivers and streams. A stretch of green lanes has recently been completed, bringing the benefits of rain gardens known as suds or sustainable drainage systems. The rain gardens will help this area which is prone to flooding. Boundary Brook Park, Ponders End, Jubilee Wards. One of the most recent projects underway and led by the council's watercourses team is Boundary Brook Park, a small car park which has, the, which has in the past suffered from antisocial behaviour is being converted into a landscaped green space with better access to the entrance of Boundary Brook Park. The flood alleviation works will help deal with flooding issues on the Hartford Road. The water stored will slowly drain back into the Boundary Brook after storms have subsided. In addition, the improvements will make the park more visible and welcoming, benefiting visitors, local shops and residents alike. And now a letter to the Enfield and Haringey Independent from Guy Upperman MP, who is Minister for Roads and Local Transport. He says, 
When utility companies' roadworks overrun, it's motorists who pay the price with congestion, detours and longer journeys. This is why I've announced a plan to crack down on works by utility companies overrunning. We are consulting on plans to toughen fines for utility companies if they overrun and increase the penalties for operating without a licence. Proposals include using money the utility companies pay councils to block off the streets and putting it into resurfacing and improving local roads. The result? We could generate £100 million extra each year to resurface roads and tackle potholes left behind by utility companies while helping tackle congestion, cutting down journey times and making driving a bit easier. This is part of a first series of measures delivered from the government's plan for drivers, a 30-point plan to support freedom to use your cars, curb unnecessary enforcement and back drivers. This is just the latest boost for readers who rely on our roads, who will also see the biggest ever funding increase of £8.3 billion to resurface local roads in England, improving the everyday journeys that so many people rely on. Faulty Towers, The Stage Show. It's been hailed as the greatest British sitcom of all time. Now, Faulty Towers is coming to the West End stage, adapted by its co-creator, John Cleese. The former Python star co-wrote the 12-episode comedy with Connie Booth and memorably starred as Faulty... Sorry, and memorably starred as Basil Faulty, the rude proprietor of a seaside hotel. First broadcast in September 1975, Forty Towers will now see its stage premiere at the Apollo Theatre in May. The two-hour play is adapted from three classic episodes, The Hotel Inspector, The Germans and Communication Problems. John Cleese says, what a thrill to be bringing Forty Towers to the West End for the first time, nearly 50 years since the show was first recorded. I've adapted three of my favourite episodes for the stage and written one huge finale, which will bring together the endings of all three episodes. Tickets at 40towerswestend.com and that's all one word, 40towerswestend.com. Library services under review. Funding pressure prompts council to issue survey on borough's library services so make sure you have your say. The Council recognises that it is under a duty to provide a comprehensive and efficient library service for people who live, work or study in the borough of Enfield. This includes books and access to digital resources, quiet spaces for study and reflection, access to support groups and social activities for all ages, health and wellbeing support, maker spaces, training and employment advice. Like all local authorities, the council is facing significant funding pressures and is under a duty to set a balanced budget. It has had a 42% reduction in overall funding since 2010 and must make savings of £39.4 million in 2024-25. There is a forecasted budget gap of £118.7 million for the five years to 2028-29. The Council says it is inevitable that savings will need to be made now and in years to come across Council services in order to set a balanced budget. It goes on. 
In light of these funding pressures, we need to consider whether our library service can be delivered in a more efficient way while ensuring that it continues to meet people's needs and is comprehensive. We want to hear from you about whether you use our library service, your experience of our libraries, and how we could deliver our library service more efficiently so as to make savings in the library budget. The deadline to fill in the survey is the 6th of March. The Council says it will use the feedback and ideas to help it develop a draft proposal for a new library strategy for Enfield. It will then publish and consult on this draft strategy in summer 2024. The Council promises to carefully consider any responses to that consultation and anticipate being able to finalise a new library strategy and implement any changes in early 2025. Who can take part? Those who live, work and study in the borough, representatives of schools, colleges, health organisations, local business, voluntary and community sector organisations, the Metropolitan Police and the London Fire Brigade. To participate in the survey, visit your local library or go online at https colon forward slash forward slash www.enfield.gov.uk forward slash consultations forward slash library dash engagement. You can also email libraries.engagement at enfield.gov.uk and the deadline is the 6th of March 2024. I now have an important message, which is a daily dose of whiskey is the secret to health. A D-Day veteran from Enfield has celebrated his 103rd birthday and let us all in on the secret to a long life. Donald Halkins credits his health to maintaining his independence and a measure of whiskey each day. Mr Halkins celebrated the milestone birthday in high spirits at Elsing House Care Home in Forty Hill. Friends and family travelled from as far afield as the United States to help the ex-serviceman mark his special day. The care home, where Mr Hawkins moved just last year, put on a private party with a fish and chip lunch for the veteran. The 103-year-old shared his love of whisky. He said, It's what I really enjoy. I never overdo it, though. Just one glass is enough. The whisky we had in the war was very different, but it did give me a bit of Dutch courage. Mr. Hawkins gets a glass of his favourite tipple every day at 3pm. The care home's head of hospitality, Stephen Eshmade, said, Donald is such a personality. He encourages everyone here to get out of bed and get involved in the activities. He's always smartly dressed and he starts every morning with a cup of coffee while he reads the paper. He's so positive. I love seeing him every day. Mr. Hawkins served as a motorcycle dispatch rider in northern France during the D-Day landings in 1944. With the 90th Middlesex Regiment of the Royal Artillery, he landed on Gold Beach in June, aged 23. After the war, Donald resumed his career as a butcher and, along with his wife Dorothy, raised their three children in Winchmore Hill. On the 70th anniversary of D-Day in 2014, he was awarded the Légion d'Honneur, France's highest order of merit. His sons, Alan and Michael, his daughter Lucy, uh, I beg your pardon, his sons, Alan and Michael, his daughter Susan, three grandchildren and three great-grandchildren all gathered at the care home for the party. 
Enfield takeaway George's provided the celebratory fish and chip lunch. One of the veterans' presents was, of course, a bottle of his favourite whisky. Mr. Hawkins said, I was overwhelmed. It was such a wonderful day. I didn't expect all of this, and I'm very grateful to Stephen and the team at Elsing House. And now a letter from the Enfield Independent with a headline, Making Plan Work. The Disability Action Plan is a positive step in some specific short-term areas. The key will be to ensure it is effectively implemented. We do still need much greater ambition for the longer term, especially around tackling the cost of living and opening up employment opportunities. Disabled people are still in the grips of a vicious cost of living crisis and action on that is rightly included and must be prioritised. Whilst we welcome the proposals set out in the plan, we also seek further information on how they will be implemented with urgent action needed. With disabled people too often marginalised from opportunities such as employment, having to navigate inaccessible or confusing public services and disproportionately on low incomes, new approaches are urgently needed to create opportunities and change the narrative to one of talent and a significant consumer base. Making sure ambition becomes reality will require long-term commitment from across government with rigorous monitoring and oversight. We will be holding the government to account to ensure this plan lives up to its promises and has the impact it needs to have. And that letter is from Diane Lightfoot and Marge Hodgkinson, co-chairs for the Disability Charities Consortium. We have reached the end of our programme for this week. Thank you for listening. So from the team of Mary, Joel and me, Sarah, and Hass on the controls, it's goodbye. Please remember to turn over the address label in your postal packet. Put the memory stick into the packet in a closed position and return it to us as soon as possible in readiness for the next edition. You can now also listen to our podcast by searching for Enfield Talking Newspaper on your favourite podcast app or listening to us on your smart speaker by saying play podcast Enfield Talking Newspaper. Don't forget you can call Diane de Jersey regarding any help you may require in connection with Enfield Talking Newspaper on 07899854582. That's 08998545821 The Enfield Talking Newspaper will be with you again in one week's time, but do stay tuned now for another archive episode. This week we go back all the way to the 2nd of October 1986. Hello, this is Hass, and I'm here to introduce a selection of recordings from the Enfield Talking Newspaper archive. A few cassette recordings from the first 50 years of the Talking Newspaper have survived, and once a month you'll hear the local news from the Enfield area as it was from 1974 through to 2011. For today's episode from the archive, we go back to the 2nd of October 1986. It's the year Martina Navratilova won her seventh Wimbledon singles title, Athlete Usain Bolt was born, and the Enfield Talking newspaper moved from being fortnightly to weekly. 
And remember, this was originally recorded on cassette, so ignore any instruction to turn the tape over. Hello and welcome to the 601st edition of the Enfield Talking Newspaper, Dateline 2nd of October 1986. This is the first of the weekly programmes that we mentioned a few months ago and therefore we are writing another page of history in the life of the newspaper and we hope you'll enjoy it and the future editions which will include some fresh items and a magazine together with a new look presentation, so stay with us. In tonight's items we include monkey business at St Joseph's Nursing Home, a house for sale that nobody wants, and how jumping in at the deep end is causing a splash, and the usual roundup of local views, news and opinions, including the latest what's on feature. Tonight your readers are... Diane. John. Anne. And Tony on the controls, and me Alf here, passing over to Diane for the first news item. Diane. A woman on the brink of death was saved by three Southgate Red Cross members on Sunday. They were the first on the scene when a woman taking part in a Hyde Park fun run had a heart attack and stopped breathing. Instructor Michael Homan, driver Simon Williams and his wife and navigator Margaret Williams, who were on first aid duty, gave emergency aid and rushed the stricken woman to the Park Medical Centre where her heart was restarted. Southgate's trio, plus a doctor and nurse, then rushed their patient to St Mary's Hospital, where an emergency team were on standby to receive them. The woman is now said to be progressing well. She has regained consciousness and is expected to be out of intensive care shortly. Southgate's efforts merited high praise from Green Lane Centre organiser John Switters. They just performed magnificently. The duty doctor said afterwards that if our members hadn't responded as quickly as they did, the woman would have died. Enfield Football Club hit the headlines in the local papers this week, but for all the wrong reasons. Busted at Boston, says the Enfield Advertiser. Striking failure, says the Gazette. They were referring to the E's last two matches. Last Saturday at Boston, the E's went down 5-1 and lost their unbeaten away record. Whilst at home on Tuesday night, they lost to their close rivals, Maidstone United, 1-0. It seems that the E's have goals have dried up. They had hoped to do well in the GM Vauxhall Conference League this season because if they win, they gain automatic admission to the Football League. On the cricket scene, last Saturday and Sunday saw the final matches for our local sides. Enfield... Not the football team, but the cricket team, who play in Lincoln Road, and in fact won the uh, Middlesex County League, uh, played their final game at Wembley, but they didn't end on a high note, going down to Wembley in a very close match. However, Paul Keeble capped a profitable last month of the season with an unbeaten century. A new swimming pool is to be built in eastern Enfield, It will be sited in Albany Park and will replace the pool in nearby Bradley Road, which the council describes as appalling. 
However, the committee responsible for the decision, leisure and amenities, are unable to agree where in Albany Park the pool should be sited. Two possible sites have been identified, the former Patting Green, which is approached down Albany Road, and the front of the park bordering Hartford Road. The council expect either site to create a certain amount of added traffic congestion in Hartford Road. If the Putting Green site is chosen, coaches carrying school parties to the pool would need to drive up and down Albany Road, which is a residential road with parking on both sides. In addition, coaches would hold up traffic as they turned into Albany Road from Hartford Road. With the second possible site, coaches pulling up along Hartford Road could cause congestion. Hartford Road estate agent Mark Gilbert predicts building the pool on the Putting Green site would reduce the value of houses along the Albany Road. However, any reduction in house value would be temporary. As people got used to the extra traffic, the prices would tend to creep up, he said. Fellow estate agent Alan Gilbert was surprised the council is contemplating building a pool at the foot of the par- front of the park bordering Hartford Road. I've asked the council to move the bus stop outside my office and put it outside the Albany Park gates. They refused, saying the road bends too much outside the gates and it would be too dangerous for buses to stop there. If it was not possible for buses to stop outside the gates, then it should not be possible for coaches to do this either, he said. The Albany Park pool is one of the two new pools planned for the borough. Everyone agrees that a drug advisory centre for Enfield is a good idea, but nobody wants it on their doorstep, Enfield Community Health Council heard last week. Plans for the drug centre are reaching the final stages following support for the project from Enfield Council and the Health Authority at Edmonton offers the most likely site. Dr Fiona Sims, specialist in community medicine, said that the main functions of the centre would be to offer advice and support to drug users and their families, Drugs would not be prescribed in most cases, nor would they be stored on the premises. The meeting heard that the two major options for the location of the new centre were at Southbury Road Clinic and Forest Road, Edmonton. Dr Sim said, We now have the funding for a drug centre to be set up, but one of the problems we are faced with is that although people agree such a centre is necessary, they don't want it on their doorstep. As a result, we have been looking for somewhere that is detached but still remains fairly central and easy for people to get on public transport. CHC members agree that the Southbury Road Clinic should continue in its present use and that the Forest Road site was a better proposition. The CHC will now put their findings to the Council and District Health Authority. Eight men were taken to hospital after toxic gas escaped from the Johnson Matty chemical plant last week. The British Waterways employees were ferried to Chase Farm Hospital by ambulance, complaining of sore throats and running eyes after inhaling steam mixed with hydrochloric acid. They were released after treatment and there are said to be no lingering effects. Now an investigation is underway into the cause of the accident. The leak first came to light shortly before 9am last Wednesday. The metal refining plant in Jeffreys Road, Ponders End, was immediately shut down. The escaped gas, enveloped in a shroud of steam, drifted across the Lee Valley to where the workers were unloading goods at the back of the plant.
but it wasn't until nearly midday that emergency services or the council were alerted. Peter Thomas, works manager at the plant, confirmed that there had been an accident and said the government's health executive from Cambridge had already interviewed him and the investigations were continuing. Work on that particular process has been suspended. Deputy Environmental Health Officer Ron Taylor said that the cloud was fairly harmless. There is no telling how concentrated the cloud was because it had dispersed by the time we arrived, but the body is quite capable of handling small amounts of hydrochloric acid, he said. Mr Taylor praised the sensible actions of the firm for shutting down after the accident, but queried why his office had not been informed until three hours after the incident. We turned up with the emergency services after the problem manifested itself, he said. Mr Thomas said he wasn't willing to comment until the results of the investigation were published. We will now be involved in assisting to review safety at the plant and make sure it never happens again. Bishop Stopford schoolgirl Jackie Kelly completed a double at the Middlesex School's Under-16 Badminton Championships last weekend. Jackie, who won the under-12 girls' singles and mixed double titles three years ago and the under-15 trophies last year, kept up her record, beating Michelle Smith of Hayes 11-0-11-0 in the under-16 girls' final and also took the girls' doubles. Her only disappointment came when she was relying on a male in the mixed doubles. They went down in the semi-finals. In the netball, Oakwood once again demonstrated their current fine form by beating Enfield, not the football team this time, 50-35 in a Polytechnic League match. Oakwood led throughout, and their margin of victory reflects the ease which they were able to find goal shooter Kate Harold. Perhaps Enfield Football Club should go and have a look and see if Kate's could help them out. Nobody seems to want the old house at 3 Old Park Avenue, Enfield. Inherited by the Borough Council from the GLC with a sitting tenant in 1960, the property became free when that tenant died. However, over the past year, it's been inhabited by changing groups of squatters, the last of which were removed a few weeks ago. Now the landlord, Enfield's Environment and Committee, has offered both to the Social Services Committee and the Leisure and Amenities Committee, but both said no thank you. Director of Social Services Barry Palmer told his committee that the House would need much money spent on it and it just wasn't a practical proposition. It's been declared unsuitable for residential use because of its disrepair and its closeness to the rifle range. Now the decision of what to do with the house goes back to environment and land councillors since the suggestion of community use has been turned down. Three crime items for you. Leather concessionaires of Ordnance Road Enfield Lock are offering £1,000 for information leading to the recovery of leather jackets stolen from their premises last week and to the apprehension of the raiders. Some £35,000 to £40,000 worth of men's jackets were stolen from the factory retail shop last week. Three men are believed to have carried out the raid, having first deactivated the alarm system and cut the telephone wires. They were using walkie-talkies and got away in a white Renault van. 
A 45-year-old Edmonton woman was attacked as she walked to her home on Friday afternoon last week. The incident took place at 3.05pm in Bridport Road, where a youth approached and tried to grab two gold chains from her neck. The woman was pulled to the ground but bravely fought off the attacker, who fled empty-handed. And in another street attack, a 16-year-old girl was robbed of her purse containing £50. The incident took place at 11pm on Friday outside the Bottle and Basket off-licence in 4th Street. A man walked up to the girl who was standing with her boyfriend, grabbed her purse and escaped in a waiting Blue Avenger car. A man posing as a telephone engineer conned his way into an Enfield house but left empty-handed when the householder asked him to leave. The trickster, whom residents claim had been seen in the area frequently in recent weeks, is described as black, six foot tall, unshaven and wearing a brown cardigan and scruffy trousers. Oh, one more of our horror stories for this week. An Enfield teacher who was a passenger on one of the trains involved in the horror crash in the Midlands hit out this week at British Rail for their callous attitude to passengers on the crash trains. Karen Marshall, who is a teacher at Durrance Special School in Pitfield Way, Enfield, was on the five o'clock London to Manchester train when it collided with the Liverpool to London train on Friday, September the 19th. Karen said, I was in the third carriage from the front and the first thing I remember about the crash was our train breaking very hard. We then heard a tremendous bang and our section of the train was thrown on its side. I remember people shouting and screaming, but we were all dazed by what had happened. The nearest village to the crash was Colwich, and the villagers responded tremendously when they saw what had happened. Men, women and children brought us blankets, clothing, tea, and helped us out of the train, and then the emergency services arrived. Villagers let us use their homes as shelter and to telephone relatives. I will never forget their kindness. Karen suffered bruises and cuts and was severely shocked by the crash. However, she is very bitter about the way British Rail responded. She added, Those fit to travel were put on a train to nearby Stafford where we joined another London train to Manchester. Naturally, we were unsure of travelling by rail again so soon, but nobody from BR said anything to us or even apologised. Karen has written to British Rail complaining about their treatment of passengers in the crash and she is now waiting a reply. Argentinian ace Ozzy Ardelis has given up smoking in an attempt to recapture his best form during his farewell season at Tottenham. The diminutive midfield genius enjoys a cigarette every now and then but is now making the effort for the sake of the club. He said, It's going to be hard to give them up but I'm sure I can succeed. It would be nice to have a really memorable final season at Tottenham. Ozzy, who was 34, signed for Tottenham in July 1978 for £325,000 from the Argentinian club Huraca and has made well over 200 first-team appearances for the club. Boxing, Enfield Amateur Boxing Club are expected to take part in this year's National Association of Boys Clubs Championships. The local elimination rounds are to be held at Finchley and District Amateur Boxing Club at Anchor Hall, Bulwer Road, New Barnet on Tuesday, October the 21st. Late night shopping at Enfield's Palace Gardens is being extended. Until recently, only Waitrose supermarkets stayed open until 8pm on Thursdays and Fridays. 
Now other units in the precinct are keeping their doors open until 8 on Thursdays, says Centre Manager John Rapley. The idea was mooted at a traders' meeting and is expected to continue on a trial basis for some months, he said. Hopefully it will carry on and extend to all shops, he said. We'll drink to that. The Brainiers pub regulars in Enfield collected their tankards and trophies on Saturday night. Captained by 1983 national mastermind champ Chris Hughes, the team from the Southbury Hotel beat 14 other pub teams to place in a London's final held later this year. They'll be hoping to repeat last year's city-wide success in the interpub quiz contest. A very unusual garden came under the appreciative eyes of the mayor of Enfield when he visited Cap- she visited Capel Manor. It has been designed especially for the blind. Councillor Reardon was told that when it is completed next summer, the garden will contain aromatic blooms, textured surfaces and lots of similar features that will appeal to the other four senses. She was also shown round a garden for the disabled that has been built at the manor in Bullsmore Lane at Enfield, which allows gardeners to work from wheelchairs. She was very impressed with it all, said Estates Manager Nick Evans after the visit. Councillor Mrs Reardon went to look at the Manor's Environmental Centre in Bulls Cross Ride, where a new piggery is being built. All the work on the gardens and piggery has been done by people from the Manpower Services Commission's community programme. A wrangle between the Intimate Theatre and Enfield Council may see the Green Lanes Palmer's Green venue forced to close. Theatre manager Bob Dixon is involved in a lengthy row with the council over licensing and payment of fees, members of the Public Services and Protection Committee heard last Monday. To press for payment in full of the fees owed may force Mr Dixon, who is seeking a reduction on the £1,342 owed, to close the theatre completely. However, if he does not meet the council's wishes and continues to hold performances, he risks prosecuting for operating without a licence, they heard. Eight productions are booked at the theatre between now and Christmas, said Councillor Duncan Lewis. He suggested the council defer action until after the festive season to ensure the shows did indeed go on. Members agreed to ask Mr Dixon to apply for licences for the year beginning November 1st, 1986 and submit the full fee. The council will consider a reduction in fees if he produced audited accounts, they suggested. Their recommendations will go before the full council when it next meets. The theatre has operated without any licences since October last year. Previous requests for audited accounts to be submitted have not been met. Former Enfield milkman Ronald Angel is now carrying out what must be his longest ever round. Mr Angel, who served at the dairy from the age of 13 until his retirement, is driving a milk float from Land's End to John O'Groats. He's hoping to raise £35,000 for the A1 Dairy Benevolent Fund. A former St Andrews School pupil and St Andrews Church choir boy, Mr Angel spent nine of his working years at the Enfield Highway Dairy. He has now retired to live in Letchworth. Mr Angel set off from Land's End last week and hopes to make it to John O'Groats by October the 6th. That's a little bottle, Land's 
Enfield Lions Club have pounced on litter problems by sponsoring ten new litter bins for Enfield Town Centre. Lions Club past president Dr Raman Hard Shah pronounced the first bin open outside Enfield Town Station in South Road last week. Chairman of the Keep Enfield Tidy campaign, Councillor John Payne, thanked the Lions Club for two bins, which cost them £375. And he said, we are trying to make people aware of the problem, particularly children who are more vulnerable to the health risks caused by rubbish on the streets. Risley Lodge at 91 Wellington Road, Bushell Park, will be extended if Enfield Council grant planning approval. The applicant, Mr A Higgins, wants to build a two- or three-storey extension at the back of the residential home for the elderly to provide 19 additional bed spaces. The plans also call for parking spaces in the front garden. The council is also to spend around £40,000 adapting a house for a family with a handicapped child. The conversions to the two-storey house in Central Avenue, Lower Edmonton, will include an extension, new bedroom, kitchen and bathroom and a wheelchair store. The work could be completed by early next year. But a plea for money from a gypsy group has gone unheeded by Enfield councillors. At a meeting last week, members voted not to make a grant to the National Gypsy Council because they were told they received no service from the group. Councillor Graham Eustace told the Housing Committee that they were already doing their duty towards gypsies by providing them with a site at Montague Road, Lower Edmonton. And although the Labour members suggested they should donate £500 to the group, this was dismissed as money down the drain by the Tories. Work has been done on the new Our Lady of Walsingham and the English Martyrs Church in Holt White's Hill Enfield. The old church was demolished and the land sold to make way for a property development by Langs. But after much negotiation, the church have come to an agreement for a replacement modern church to be built on a strip of land alongside the old church. Work should be finished in June of next year, Herbert Vaughan, editor of the Parish Magazine, said. A problem that has puzzled parents and postmen for years may soon be solved, but it could mean a clash between two sets of stubborn school governors. The trouble has been caused because the names of two Enfield schools are so similar they're often mistaken for each other. Instead of going to Chase School in Churchbury Lane, visiting parents sometimes end up at Enfield Chase School a mile away in Hollywalk, and vice versa. And it isn't just parents who make the mistake, Chase Headmaster David Higgins said last week. Letters and school books are delivered to the wrong address almost every day. Until recently, the problem was lessened to some degree, he added, because Chase was a single-sex school, known to most people as Chase Boys. This made it less easy to confuse with Enfield Chase, an all-girls school. But now Chase has become mixed, and the confusion has got worse, he said. The chairman of Enfield's Education Committee Councillor Alan Amos said the only way ahead now was to arrange a meeting between governors of the two schools to try to find a solution. Solicitor and lay reader John Burroughs has died while holidaying with his family in France. He was 50. Mr Burroughs, who lived in Cock Foster's Road, Hadley Wood, was staying in Port Camargue with his wife Mary and his three children, Rosemary, Jennifer and David, when he was taken ill. 
He died a week later in hospital in Montpellier. Mr Burroughs had recently become a senior partner with a Barnet firm of solicitors, Derek Bridges and Company. Mr Burroughs was a joint founder of Christchurch Youth Club Cock Fosters and belonged to the church choir for about 30 years. He was recently, recently licensed as a lay reader and elected a church warden. Edmonton Salvation Army paid tribute to long-standing member John Parnell with a special Desert Island Disc Evening. Mr Parnell, well known in the pubs and clubs of the area as the cheery war cry salesman, has been with the army for 54 years. He has been doing what he calls the pub round for 26 years, but for the past 40 years he has been the young people's treasurer. Recently, the army showed their appreciation for his work with an evening dedicated to his career. With palm trees decorating the stage, Mr Parnell chose six of his favourite tunes for the Desert Island Discs, which were sung by the Young People's Singing Company. Some of the tunes I chose were the same ones that I used to sing when I was in the singing company as a boy, he said. But it was the anthem for the free played by the army band which touched Mr Parnell's heart. It was his daughter's favourite tune before she died last year. Mr Parnell, aged 63, has continually worked with youth within the area. In 1953, with the help of his brother David, he began picking up children in the outlying areas of Edmonton and taking them to Sunday school. He ran this service until 1969 when the Salvation Army brought their own minibus. Raymond Borum, press officer for the Salvation Army branch, said Mr Parnell often spends time with the families of the youngsters and guarantees the children a good time when they go on outings. A well-known figure in the area, he joined the mission in Tottenham at the age of nine before his family moved to Edmonton. Now working in the distribution department at the Salvation Army shop in Judd Street, Mr Parnell recalls working for the Cook and Jones pawn shop near Edmonton Town Hall. I started there at 14. I'd sell anything from hobnailed boots to blankets, he said. From there he became manager of a carpet shop before devoting all his time to the army. But despite all his years with the army and a fond thank you from all those at the 4th Street Citadel, Mr Parnell of Berry Street, Lower Edmonton, says he has no plans to put down his collection box and war cries and stop his lessons at Sunday school. I shall continue until I can work no longer or whenever they don't want me any more, he says. An Enfield councillor would like to see public toilets for dogs built in all the boroughs' parks. A similar scheme in Barking... Where else? Kept 60 tonnes of dog mess off grass and play areas in a year. Councillor Simon Kaplan works for Barking Council, which piloted Britain's first public convenience for dogs. He wants Enfield Council to look at the cost of funding such a programme here. It costs 14000 to launch in Barking and covered 25 parks and playgrounds. He said the scheme was highly successful. It involved putting bins to collect dog mess at the entrances and exits of parks and employing wardens to make sure dogs used the bins or that their owners cleared up after them. The Council Public Services and Protection Committee will raise the plan at its next meeting and will also comb through the borough's bylaws to see if they contain any penalties which may be used to curb lax dog owners. One person who would salute any plan to keep dog mess out of its parks is Robert Offredy, who lives on the edge of Durance Park near Hartford Road. He said dogs use the park as a public toilet already. He said the park is a health hazard and wants the council to plough it up and cover over the mess. Mr Offredy no longer lets his children 
on the grass. The last time he did, his two children, aged three and five, came home with dog mess on their bikes, toys and boots. He was even more upset when he heard a person with a dog say they weren't going to exercise their dog anymore in the park as it was too dirty. Enfield-based firm Thorn EMI is off in search of eastern promise along with another 50 British firms this autumn. The electrical company is taking part in a trade week around Saudi Arabia which coincides with the visit by the Prince and Princess of Wales to the country in November. Computer equipment costing thousands of pounds is being bought for Enfield schools. Six secondary schools, Aylward, Edmonton, Enfield Chase, Enfield Grammar, Salisbury and Southgate Lower, look like getting elaborate computer networks. The rest of the money, which totals around £175,000, will provide computers and software to be used by primary school children and business studies students. The shopping spree was approved at last week's school subcommittee meeting and afterwards Chairman Councillor Alan Amos said a large number of schools will benefit. He said it was absolutely vital to provide schools with new technology explaining we are training youngsters in new modern skills which will be vital to the future of the economy. Trainee chef Robin Spooner went to great heights to prove his culinary skills. The 17-year-old from Devonshire Road, Palmer's Green, was given the tough task of preparing a full dinner at the top of a wind-swept mountain in Wales. It was all part of catering skills competition for trainees organised by United Biscuits. Robin, who works at the Grucho Club in the West End, was chosen from over 5,000 entrants to take part in the taxing trials. As well as catering tests, Robin tackled an RAF assault course, orienteering and bridge building at Langlatok. I can't pronounce Welsh. But unfortunately, Robin lost out in the closely fought contest and wasn't chosen to go on to the finals. A spokesman for the organisers of the competition said he did brilliantly to get as far as he did. His work was a very high standard, but not quite good enough to get him through. That brings us to the end of the first item on the news tape. Would you kindly now extract the cassette from your machine, turn over, and we'll see you on the other side with more news.
Hi, welcome back to side two after these strains of Matt Bianco. Uh, we've got to start off, however, with an apology, and we're very sorry to say that our stall in Edmonton Market had to be cancelled owing to the fact that the majority of our helpers were on holiday or at work on those days. Many apologies to any of you who came along to the market hoping to see us. However, there's something nice to look forward to, our New Year party. It will take place on Saturday, January 10th at Millfield House, Silver Street, Edmonton, in the evening. We'll be giving you more details nearer the time, but this is an early warning, so you can save up your pennies to the amount of £2 for the evening, which will include light refreshments. There will also be a bar and possibly a cabaret if we speak nicely to a certain person. I wonder who that could be. Over to Diane now for the next item. There won't be any weeping when the tree fellers moved in, moved in to chop a willow tree down. The thirsty tree has been draining the picture postcard pond at Middleton House, Bulls Cross, Enfield, and causing gardeners quite a headache. The Lee Valley Regional Park Authority have been improving the garden at Middleton Park for several years in an effort to return it to its former glory. But the continually leaking pond puzzled workers for some time. Last year, we totally restored the pond, spokesman Chris Stringer said. We excavated the silts, cleaned it up and lined the pond with puddle mud to stop it from leaking. But it still leaked, he said. It was only when workers drained the pond themselves and the willow on the pond's bank began to suffer that they got to the root of the problem. We can't be sure that it is all attributable to the willow, but it seems pretty likely. Certainly it did suffer when we emptied the pond. Mr Stringer said the pond had a history of leaking. He added that the dragon claw willow appeared to have been planted below the pond's water line sometime in the 1940s, but the loss of the willow won't infringe on the estate's restoration to the splendour once created by the famous Bowles horticulturist. It would appear that it wasn't part of the original Bowles garden anyway. If it was in his garden, it was in the later years, Mr Stringer said. Once the tree is removed, the workers can complete the pond, which will be stocked with goldfish. The willow was protected by a tree preservation order, but Enfield Council's planning subcommittee agreed to lift the order. The programme of restoration at Midland House will continue over the next three years. The next story caught my eye, living as I do in Winchmore Hill. As you probably know, Winchmore Hill, in the Elizabethan times, formed part of the vast Enfield Chase and was alive with deer. It is now, of course, a built-up suburb of London. But the deer seem to still be there because five firemen and a fire engine, a vet and an RSPC hospital van were called to rescue a stranded deer last week. The two-year-old wild muntjac deer wandered into Annette and Doug Elliott's garden in Winchmore Hill but got stuck when it got through or tried to get through the wrought iron gate into a neighbour's garden. Farmen from Southgate had to prise the iron bars apart to release her. The, the deer that is, not, not the next door neighbour. And that Ian Lopakskin had to sedate the bewildered animal before it was taken to the RSPCA a hospital in Holloway. It was released into the wild after 48 hours rest and recuperation. Mrs Elliot, a speech and drama teacher of Vickersmore Lane, said, Goodness knows where it came from. 
Tracy Stannard came into the world six weeks early, weighing just four pounds, four ounces when she was born. But that didn't stop her running ten kilometres for charity last week. Tracy of Dermont Road, Palmans Green, is now a super-fit 22-year-old and raised £300 for Baby Life Support Systems, BLISS for short, a charity which buys equipment for premature babies, when she joined the woman's own Nikki Fun Run in Hyde Park. Tracy was cheered on by her three-year-old twin cousins, Rachel and Natalie Kennedy, who were also born with a touch of the tinies. Natalie tipped the scales at just £2.4 ounces and spent five weeks in an incubator at Chase Farm Hospital. Her sister Rachel spent two days in an incubator, weighing a more substantial £4.8. ounces. Their mother, Pam Kennedy, who is the founder member of the Enfield branch of Bliss, said, Tracy did marvellously. She raised a lot of money and showed people that premature babies grew up into strong, fit adults, just like my twins are. A monkey on the loose in the wilds of Edmonton drove the RSPCA and the policeman bananas last week. For the elusive rogue monkey escaped the clutches of its would-be captors and when the cheeky chappy was finally caught, it sank its teeth into the arm of a nursing home assistant. The alarm first went out at 3pm on Wednesday when staff at St Joseph's Nursing Home in Church Street, Lower Edmonton, spotted the rascal. They alerted a somewhat sceptical police who in turn called in the RSPCA. The RSPCA inspector attempted to corner the animal but it turned nasty and bolted. Police in the area were informed to keep an eye out for the animal and a description was issued. He was described as two foot tall, covered in fur and not very happy. But on a serious note they warned their officers not to approach the monkey as it could give a bad bite. Later that evening the monkey returned to the nursing home car park. The staff managed to capture the monkey themselves, but in the process, Gloria Thomas was bitten and was taken for a tetanus injection at North Middlesex Hospital as a precaution. But before the RSPCA could arrive, a woman with her four children in tow called at the nursing home, claimed the monkey and walked away. Now the search is on to find this woman. It is believed that the monkey escaped from her home early in the day, but apart from that, little is known about her. The RSPCA will be trying to trace her to ensure that the animal has a covering licence. If not, she could be prosecuted by Enfield Council under the Dangerous Animals Act. Mm-hmm. Now, here we go, calling all nitwits. Come rain, snow or sleet, it isn't going to be a winter of discontent for Karen Brody. For the nimble-fingered knitter has this amazing 275-foot scarf to keep her warm. Karen, a secretary at Wurzel, Singleton and Clarkham in Enfield Town, began knitting the scarf about two years ago and it has kept growing and growing. She said, I knit whenever I can. I get so bored sitting in front of the telly so I sit and knit and knit and knit. I have to keep my fingers moving. Karen, who lives in Oakley Crescent, Whetstone, is now hoping to knit herself into the Guinness Book of Records, but she could have a long way to go yet. Although the book doesn't contain a record for a long scarf, it does have one for a crochet chain, and that's more than 35 miles long. Now for some church news. St James's Church in Enfield Highway are to have a new curate, He is the Reverend David Horton, and he has arrived in the area with his wife Anne and three young children. 
36-year-old Mr. Horton was previously a chartered accountant, and his last job before joining the ministry was as chief auditor to the City of Durham Council. St. Thomas's Church, Oakwood, are mourning the death of their vicar, the Reverend John Potham, who died in St. Mary's Hospital, Paddington, last week. He was 61. He had been ill for some while, suffering from a heart condition. And in another part of the borough, Edmonton, Father Norman Kersey, the parish priest of St. Edmund's Roman Catholic Church, Hartford Road, is retiring. He has been in Edmonton for 14 years and is well known in the district, spending most of his time visiting his parishioners on his bicycle. He had a farewell celebratory mass, which was celebrated by Cardinal Basil Hume. He is going on a holiday to New Zealand with his brother, and on his return he will be acting as a chaplain to an old people's home in Stoke Newington. The new parish priest of St Edmunds is the Father Brian Ward, who was, at one time, at the beginning of his ministry, a curate at St Edmunds. Plans for a new restaurant in Southgate have led to traders' fears that they may be squeezed out of business. There are already 21 restaurants, cafes and takeaway shops around Southgate Circus, and it's feared that the latest plan for a new outlet in Ashfield Parade could prove one too many. Helen Anastasi of the Ashfield Cafe believes the council should act now to prevent the new restaurant overcrowding the food market and damaging the trade of more established firms. She's starting a petition of fellow traders and customers, pressing the council to put a stop to new food businesses moving in on the circus patch. But Deputy Borough Planning Officer Martin Jewell said there was no chance of the new plan being turned down on the grounds of too much competition. Too much competition is not a satisfactory planning reason for a refusal. The restaurant would have to be to the detriment of the facilities in Southgate or cause too much noise, disturbance, traffic or smell, he said. He advised all those unhappy about a new restaurant to contact the council, outlining their objections. Thanks, Anne. Now some notes for your diary and what's on for the coming week. On Sunday, October the 5th, there's a flower festival at St Peter's Church, Vera Avenue, Grange Park. That's at 11am to 5. It's free there. Social and sing-along dancing at Holly's Hall, Nursery Road, Southgate. That's from half past 7 to half past 10. Admission is a pound. And we move on to October the 6th on Monday. There's the over-60s Evergreen Club, and they meet at the Red Cross Centre, 259 Green Lanes, Palmer's Green, at a quarter to two until a quarter to four. And also there's the over-60s club meeting at the Selbic Hall, Lancaster Road, Enfield, at half past one to 3.30pm. Various activities and new members are welcome, and you can get details on 6097. And at the Intimate Theatre on October the 8th to the 11th at half past seven, Saturday's matinees at 3pm, the St Monica players present Present Laughter, a light comedy by Noel Coward. And on October the 14th to the 18th at half past seven, the Risley Operatic Group present Passion Flower, a famous Jerry Herman musical. October the 20th to the 25th at a quarter to eight, 
Saturday's matinees at 3pm. There's Latin American and it's called Tango and Friends, a spectacular evening, we're told, of music, song and dance from Latin America. Also uh, on October the 8th, there's a German circle at Millfield House, Hill Street, Edmonton at between 2 and 3, mixed ability group. Beginners, beginners are welcome, 8031394. And the Southgate Recorded Music Society at Southgate Town Hall, Green Lanes, Palmer's Green at a quarter to 8. Wales Entertains, an audio-visual recital presented by Neville Jones. Details on 5508542. Right, a little bit of uh, other news here. It says nearly 400 council homes are due to have double glazing installed by the end of next summer. A bit late for this winter, but still. Most of the houses were built between the wars, and though they are generally in good condition, the timber windows are in a poor state. The roads affected are areas around Brimsdown Avenue, right through 3rd Avenue and Lancia Road, um, parts of Ponders End High Street and, all, and Bush Hill Park. Various other roads, I should imagine you can get information from the council. A Keep Warm campaign is to be uh, run this year. Almost £750,000 and 173 workers will be concentrated on preventing elderly people dying from cold this winter. A comprehensive programme of action and information will be presented to every one of the 37,000 households in the borough which contains elderly people. The Manpower Services Commission will be paying both for workers and materials needed for the scheme. Last year, four people died in Enfield from hypothermia and many more received assistance from social services to deal with the cold winter. This hypothermia campaign will be based on informing people how to safeguard against risks from cold. Visits to elderly residents will be starting next month and insulation teams should be working by November. A word of warning, however. If someone calls at your house, make sure that they have the correct credentials before you allow them to be admitted. A man who has devoted his life to the Boys' Brigade has celebrated his 60th year in the movement. Len Staines, a lieutenant in the 16th Enfield, was presented with a plaque and a Bible by grateful parents and boys during the company's annual awards evening. And afterwards, the veteran member described how he had enjoyed every minute of his time with the brigade. Len first became a member in 1926, when he joined the 3rd Enfield at Christchurch in Chase Side Enfield. At that time, the movement was known as the Boy Reserves. At the age of 20, Len became an officer, when he helped to form a new company at Suffolk School in Brick Lane, Enfield. But when the war started, the company was closed and Len joined up with the Royal Signals, serving in Iceland, Sicily and Italy. However, he continued to help the brigade when he returned to England and after the war worked with a number of companies until he joined the 16th Enfield in 1960. Nowadays, he spends several nights a week with the company who are based at St John's Methodist Church in Hughes Avenue, Enfield, he helps with Bible classes, band practice, parade evenings and junior section meetings. 
Everyone connected with the town show must have been delighted with the beautiful weather we had over that weekend, especially the horticultural societies, from whom it must be one of the major events of the year. One of the oldest of these organisations must be the Forty Hill Mutual Improvement and Horticultural Society, which was formed in 1910 with Mr E. A. Bowles as president. The first show was held in August 1911 with cut flowers, plants, fruit, vegetables, livestock and best homemade loaf. The venue for the show was Middleton House Gardens and it was held in the cowshed. One can imagine the overnight activity in clearing and cleaning out the cowshed to make it a fit venue for the show. Outside a long table was placed to accommodate the long line of children's jam jars filled with wild, wild flowers. The children were also encouraged to capture queen wasps and white butterflies for a reward of one penny each. The total amount of prize money was four pounds two shillings. In 1984, the Society published a small book in which past and present members recorded their memories of the organisation. Miss Eva Radford, who lives in the Forty Hill area, remembered those early days, and she said... In thinking of the Forty Hill Horticultural Society, I cannot remember the exact year my father was appointed as secretary. However, when he retired, Mr Augustus Bowles presented him with an umbrella with a date, etc., inscribed on a silver band around it. He was so proud of his umbrella that it went everywhere with him every weekend, whether the sun was shining or the rain was coming. Indeed, I have a photograph of him when he was sitting in Middleton Gardens at a summer fete, surrounded by the old members of the church. It was a glorious day, but Father is there with his umbrella. We have never parted with it, and my nephew still prizes it because it bears his grandfather's name. Father used to collect the one-pound notes given by the vice-presidents before the annual show. They were Mr Jessop, who lived in Forty Hill House, Dr Carter at the house now called Longbourn. Also, Mr Rashley at Roselands and two others also. They used to go round judging the gardens and allotments with Mr Swatton, the head gardener of Middleton House, Mr Spurling, the head gardener of Roselands, Mr Martin from Capel House and Mr Pullen, who was at the Theobalds when Lady Muir was there. It was such a busy time getting everything ready and such a large show really for the size of Forty Hill. One of the highlights that I remember were the vegetable collection and a prize of a leg of mutton given by Percy Ansell, the butcher, whose shop was where the do-it-yourself shop now is just past Clay Hill. The vegetables were very good and Mr Pullen was a very good judge and no one was allowed into the cart shed as it was then whilst the judging was going on. When I was about 12, I started collecting queen wasps and my main place was Forty Hill House where Miss Jessop lived. There was a large, bright, shiny-leafed ivy, which the wasp settled on, and when I arrived home from school about five o'clock, the sun and wasp would be on the ivy. The large gates were never open, and I had to knock to be let in. When Mr Jessop arrived on horseback from Waltham Abbey, where he worked, he used to start whistling when he got to the top of Goat Lane, so that Mr Payne, his coachman, would hear him and open the gate ready for him to enter. I would go through the cobbled yard, which is now gone, and I was given a butterfly net to catch the wasps. I would kill them with a little stone on their heads and put them into matchboxes, which we collected beforehand, and my brother took the wasps and pinned them out on a sheet of paper for me before the show. I had a record number one year, 409, and I think the money I received was sixpence a dozen.
It wasn't very much money, really, but I had to do it, being the daughter of the secretary. If Miss Jessop saw any wasps during the day, she would catch and save them for me. The wasp collection was stopped when Mr Bowles started the wild flower section, as I think some of the children didn't fancy killing wasps, but I never remember being stung. And that concludes Miss Radford's stinging account of life at Fort Hill in the old days. At least the wasp must be happier in the 1980s. Now back to the news with Diane. Starry-eyed pupils and parents watched as eminent astronomer Heather Cooper laid the foundation stone of a new building at Palmer's Green High School. Heather, who has risen to fame as a writer, broadcaster and president of the British Astronomical Association, told Friday's gathering how exciting science can be as a career. This was particularly apt as the new building will eventually provide the school in Hoppers Road with custom-built laboratories. The building is part of a £305,000 development taking place at Palmer's Green High to meet the demands of a more scientifically orientated society. In addition to the three-storey extension, there will be alterations to the north end of the school to provide an art studio, computer room, medical room and cloakrooms. The project is expected to be finished by April next year. However, although the school are paying £205,000 towards the work, they are appealing to parents and friends to make donations towards the remainder. More than 50 people who have already made contributions were invited to last week's ceremony. Also, there were two girls from each form, head teacher Anne Woodings and teachers. Bernie Grant has upset local MP Michael Portillo. The, local, the controversial leader of Haringey Council caused the upset when he visited Southgate last Friday. Bernie Grant, who is best known for criticising the police following last year's Tottenham riots, was one of the guests at a celebration of the Hindi language which took place at Southgate Technical College. But his presence there appalled Southgate's MP, Michael Portillo, who shared the stage with Mr Grant. Mr Portillo said afterwards, It was ironic that he should attend a celebration whose theme was unity and harmony when in every way his comments after the riot did so much to make things worse. I also deplore the fact that he chose the occasion of the Hindi celebration to make a party political speech, which was absolutely inappropriate in the circumstances. His visit to Southgate will have given great offence to many of my constituents. Vijay Rattan, who helped organise the celebration, said it was a non-political event and nobody had any complaints. A spokesman for Haringey Council said, Mr Grant was attending the Labour Party conference and couldn't comment. About 300 people took part in a three-legged human wheelbarrow race at Enfields Town Park on Sunday to raise funds to send handicapped youngsters on a pilgrimage to the Roman Catholic Shrine at Lourdes next Easter. The trip is being organised by the North London branch of the Handicapped Children's Pilgrimage Trust, which takes 2,000 children to Lourdes every year. The organisers hope Sunday's event will raise £7,000 for the week-long trip, which will give a well-deserved break for families who constantly care for handicapped children. Settling into their new home at St Paul's Community Centre are the members of the Enfield Counselling Service. The group has been given a purpose-built suite of rooms at the centre in Church Street, Enfield, and are now hoping to expand their service. This means that as well as their usual counselling sessions for groups and individuals, they will be running training courses for counsellors and short courses on stress and self-awareness for the public.
If you have a problem you would like to discuss with the service or if you want to know more about their work, contact them on 01 367 2333. Councillors are to pay a tribute to a former colleague by naming a sheltered housing scheme after him. Len Warren House will be the name of the scheme at Town Road and Plevna Road, Lower Edmonton. The late Mr Warren was elected as a member of Edmonton Council in 1958 and served as a councillor until his death in 1983. He was leader of the Labour Group from 1968 to 1982 and was particularly interested in housing and education. Palmer's Green Mark Anderson has gone back to college without the title he was so keenly seeking on Saturday. Mark, 18, from Elmsdale Road, was a finalist in the national Mr Supercool competition held at a London hotel. Braving the glare of the television lights and the close and critical scrutiny of a capacity audience, Mark paraded before the judges along with 29 other hopefuls. Each was there to convince the crowd he was the man most in possession of the attributes the judges were looking for. These were good looks... Confidence, a likeable personality and a good physique to boot. Although unplaced in the finals, Mark, a business studies student and part-time model, is still the apple of his mother's eye. After a slow start, Enfield Council's ban on pavement parking is beginning to take effect. A report from the chief executive and town clerk and borough engineer and surveyor says that in 1985, the first year of the pavement parking ban, 3,800 warnings were issued against illegal parkers and 30 offenders were successfully prosecuted. A concert performed by Nicholas Small and Michael Smith will be held at St Andrew's Parish Church, Enfield Town, on Tuesday, October 7 at 8pm. More details, contact Mr Smith, 01-363-0770. A little bit more church news. Dwindling congregation numbers are not a feature of one Enfield church. In fact, the situation is quite the reverse. Services at Enfield Evangelical Free Church in Cecil Road are proving so popular, an extra Sunday session is now to be held. Starting this Sunday, the 9.30am family worship will be followed by an 11.15am service. Two stories which really link up. Last Friday, a strike hit the buses in London, but didn't affect the local area, as the Palmer's Green and Potter's Bar bus garages ignored the strike call. And as if to sort of get over this problem... The assistant manager at an Edmonton building society has got his own way of beating strikes and the computer uh, and the commuter traffic. Twice a week, as the clock approaches 5 p.m., he swaps his city shoes for trainers, sips on a pair of shorts, and jogs all the way home to Potter's Bar. Receipts from this year's bumper grand fit at St Edmund's Roman Catholic School, Hartford Road, Lower Edmonton, are the best ever. Brilliant sunshine last Saturday helped draw the crowds and rake in a profit of £1,300 for school funds. Deputy Director of Social Services at Enfield Borough Council, Jeff Prosser, will be leaving his post next month after two years in the area. He will become Unit General Manager of Priority and Community Services with Tower Hamlets Area Health Authority. 
And we're back to a little bit of local crime, younger and younger these days. A 13-year-old schoolboy was forced to hand over his bicycle when three slightly older boys threatened him with a knife and punched him. The 13-year-old was stopped as he was cycling home along Broomfield Avenue, Ponders End, on Saturday when three boys asked for a ride on his bike. When he refused, one of them drew a knife and threatened to use it on him, and then another of the boys punched him, and he was forced to hand his bicycle over to them. And finally, high prices in the area are hampering recruitment, says Enfield Borough Council. The problem is that when workers applying for jobs see the price of the houses in the area, they are put off. Councillor Alan Amos, the council's deputy leader, stated this last week. Sometimes the council has to advertise jobs several times before they are filled. Councillor Amos said the problem is affecting all council services, including teaching, and this applies to all the outer London boroughs. But now Enfield Council officers are drawing up a report which will investigate the problem and suggest a solution. It is likely to be considered by the council later this year. Thank you very much, John. That brings us to the end of this edition. It gives us pleasure to say, see you next week. Listen out now. It's good night from... Diane. John. Anne. And me, Alf. Say good night, Tony. Good night. Good night.